So we're looking at Unit 10, reviewing it, and the, pas- the Scripture passage is Romans 12, 5. We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so we're going to be looking tonight, and we're going to be reviewing about the church. And so this, this was kind of an in-depth study, and it might, got, uh, it might have got a little bogged down in places, and so, but that's okay. We'll go on, and, and if you have some questions, you can ask questions. And if I don't have the answers right off, we'll see if we can find the answers. But we're looking at God's will and the church. And as you studied this, you realized how important the church is, but not the church as much as we are important to the Lord and His work, being members of the body of the, of the local church. And... Uh, Maybe preaching to, uh, a little on this uh, in the coming weeks, and uh, but there's um, you know there's church univer- there's the church universal, the, uh, the world church, all believers together, the world church, church universal. Uh, then there's local congregations, and that make up the the world church. Uh, all, all believers, all believers, evangelical believers, all believers, all Christians. And so, but we have to remember that God does his work through uh, the local churches, through the local church, through the local congregation. And so uh, we're very important. Wherever there is a church, that's an important uh, organism of the, of the church. And so we have to remember that God has a purpose for the church and to use us as he reaches the world to himself. He, so uh, we want to look at just briefly through this tonight, and there's some major topics that I want to discuss primarily. But let's look, if you will, on day one. Um, being is more important than doing. This is on page 201. If you'll look in the middle of the page there, being is more important than doing. Like individuals, churches are often more interested in what God wants them to do than what he wants uh, and what, let me start over. Like individuals, churches are often more interested in what God wants them to do than what he wants them to be. It's about doing for the most part. We won't know what does he want us to do, but God's concerned about, what he, about what, who we are in the body. Being the kind of people who please God is far more important than doing something for him. God wants a church to obey him by doing what he asks. Yet he doesn't want a church to violate his commands to get a task done. Can you imagine how God must feel when a church splits because one group wanted to do something for God and the other group refused? And so church splits. That's, a, that's just a bad concept, but it's, it happens. It happens all the time. And so uh, we have to do what we can to avoid that from happening. I'm going to talk a little more direct toward that in just a few minutes as we talk about conflict in the church. Because wherever you have a group of people, uh, everywhere you have more than one person, there's potential conflict. Um, One of my, well, I guess, of course, that I benefited, I guess, as a pastor uh, more than any course I ever took, and that's including languages and all that, is this little book called Conflict Ministry in the Church. It was taught by Dr. Cecil Randall. 
Dr. Randall was a pastor at First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa, for a number of years. And so I was going through, uh, I was going through my course of study, and, and he was teaching a course, Conflict Management in the Home and in the Church, and how to deal with conflict in the home and in the church. And so you basically deal with conflict wherever it is, in home and church and business and wh wherever you might be, basically in the same way. So conflict is, is something that uh, there's a possibility of conflict wherever there's a group of people, regardless what it is. It may be the church, it may be some civic club, whatever. There's always possibility of conflict on the job, in the office, in the classroom, wherever. So how do you handle conflict? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But uh, um, God is interested not so much in what we do, but who we are and how we can honor him. If you would, look at number two there. Being is more important than doing on page 201. Beside each statement, write a biblical response. Now, you don't have to share these, but I want you to think just for a moment and, and how this is worded. A church voted 60 to 40, 60% to 40% to construct a new auditorium, so they immediately proceeded. Well, and I shared an example of a church that, uh, that voted to relocate, and it was like three votes separating to locate, relocate, not relocate. And they went ahead and relocated, and all of a sudden, the church split, and they just went to all churches in, in the area. And so we have to be careful until God brings everybody into agreement, somewhat agreement. And you probably read that in the study. I came across it. But, uh, but anyway, uh, think of how, how conflict could happen with that close of a vote. So what do you do? Well, you wait till God brings everybody together. And he won't bring everybody, but the majority of the people together. And so you have to, you just can't, uh, you can't just uh, say, hey, the church voted, and so we're going to go ahead and do it. I remember years and years ago when we voted to build the previous building. We're speaking by experience here. Uh, the church that uh, I was familiar with, I knew what happened at that church. And I didn't know what... You know, I knew God was leading us to build. I felt with all my heart God was leading us to build. And so, but uh, anyway, I, I'm, Vance Hester was chairman of deacons at that time, and I got with Vance, and I said, Vance, if this is a close vote, close like 60-40, something like that, I said, if this is a close vote, I said, I don't believe it will be, but if it is, I'd like for you to make a motion after the vote I'd like for you to make a motion to rescind the previous vote until the Lord brings us into agreement, more into agreement. And I said, uh, if you'll do that. And he said, okay. And so after we came together and after we voted, I knew that we were all right. I knew it wasn't going to be 100%. And so uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, uh, direct Vance in any way to make that motion. But I was trying to think, if that happened, we don't need to go ahead. And so I remember the church that voted, and it was like three votes to, to relocate against the other uh, three votes more. And it was, a, it was a split in the church, and people left, and the church ended up, church ended up uh, dwindling down to just a very few and almost closed. But, uh, and they were needing to, they were needing to build. 
And um, it, it may not, it may be the Lord's will to build but it, or to relocate, but it may not be at that time. See, it's, it's about, is it, is it God's time to do that? Has he brought ev everything together in order to make that decision? So you have to be careful where you have, uh, where it's in the family or where it's in the church family. Um, look at number two there. A church enlisted a consultant to help them establish their long-term goals. Every ministry not included was, def was defunded so the church could focus on its priorities. What happens if that comes up? Look at number three. A church has had the same Easter program for 30 years for the last decade. There have been minimal results. Um, Whenever it suggests that the church consider a new program, a group of people threaten to leave the church if the program is discontinued. So these are simple things, perhaps, but very important to other people that, um, you know, changes, changes a way that can bring about conflict. It's a thing that can bring about conflict. Um, I was talking to uh, um, someone this morning, and Randy Thompson said he heard a preacher say this week that... Um, um, I believe he said that um, there's a sign that should be put in a nursery that, um, what is it, you might have heard it, um, um, everyone, uh, well, I forget exactly how he stated it, but one that I've heard is, you know, uh, people don't like change, and especially those in the nursery, but they have to have it every now and then. So, but people, change is hard for people, especially in the church. And so you have to learn how to deal with that, not get in a hurry. And so, uh, but these are some simple things where they seem, they seem, well, how could a church split over that? Well, it would be real easy. Look down at the bottom of the page of uh, 201. It says, God wants his people to be holy and pure. God wants his people to display unity. And God wants his people to love one another. So we have to kindly have to kindly keep that in mind. Look on page um, I've jotted down two o two and two o three. Over on the left side, restated for the church. You know, we've been talking about seven realities of of uh, how to find God's will for us as individuals. Look at this: God's always at work in and around a local church. Pursues a continuing relationship with His church. It's real and personal. Invites the church to become involved in his work. Sounds familiar. When a church sees where God's at work, that's their invitation to join him. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. Church face a crisis of belief when God invites them to become more involved in the work only he can accomplish. Faith and action will be required. A church will have to make major adjustments. So you can see this as we dealt with all of this and some decisions that we had to make previously and even afterwards when this building was built. Church is totally dependent on God for accomplishing tasks of kingdom value. Apart from God, a church can do nothing of kingdom value. As a church obeys God, it will come to know him by experiences. He does wonderful things through it. So basically, we follow the same format as we do as individuals to know God's will. We do the same thing as a church, as a body of believers to know God's will. If you would, look on number six. Uh, he, he talked about the illustration with the train. I thought that was quite interesting. If you, if you could hear a train come in and you 
couldn't see the train, what would you do? But other people, other people would uh, warn you that the train's coming, what would you do? And so, same way with the church. The church is important. People's voices are important in the church. Listen to what the people are saying. That's one way we know uh, God's will is because the Spirit dwells within God's people and from time to time as they speak, this could be the Spirit speaking, and we, we know when that happens. And so um, we need to pay attention to what people are saying. Um, a church is a body of Christ. We're all interdependent and we need each other. Each member has a role in the body. Talked about that a little this morning. The pastor is responsible for the body as well uh, as to the body. Not only responsible for it, but responsible to the body. So um, we need to, to just kind of see how important the church is uh, when we think about things and things we are doing and seeking God's will. Look on page 203, uh, number 6. Uh, if this were your physical body, what would you do? Let's look on page 202 and pick that last paragraph or two paragraphs from the bottom. Suppose your ears says to the body, hear a whistle in the distance. Your eyes argue, but nothing is on the track as far as I can see. Let's keep on walking. So your body listens only to your eye and keeps on walking. Soon your ear says, whistle's getting louder and closer. Then, uh, uh, then your feet say, the tracks are vibrating under my feet. You better get our body off the tracks. If this was your physical body, what would you do? Well, would you get off the train tracks as soon as possible? Or would you take a vote to see how all the parts of the body believed and what they felt like? Or... Would you try to ignore the conflict and hope it'd go away? Uh, would you trust your eyes to keep, just keep on walking? My eyes never let me down. I'm just going to keep on walking. Well, no, we'd get off the track as soon as we could. And so we, we have to remember people's opinions in the church matter. Listen, as a pastor, I want to listen to people. I want to see what they're saying. I want to hear what they're saying. Make sure that I understand what you're trying to say. Don't misunderstand them. So members and leaders should share with each other what they sense God wants them to do. And so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's good for, for any, anybody, especially the, the, the body of Christ. Um, look on day two on page 204, and he talks about God watch. That was... Um, down at the bottom of the page, when he says, when my son Richard, this is Henry Blackerby speaking, was a pastor, he regularly held a time called God Watch. Members of the congregation were asked where they'd seen God work around them the previous week. Think about your past week. Have you noticed God working around you in any way? One woman had school principal of her son's public school asked if she was a Christian. Many of the children were coming to school without anything to eat. For lunch, their jackets were uh, inadequate for cold weather. The principal asked the woman, woman's church if the woman's church could help, and when she shared that with the church, numerous people offered to provide meals and warm jackets, and a new ministry started. And so, ha had you noticed anything different around you this past week? Did God? Did you watch God work? Did you see Him working somewhere in your life this past week? Did you have an occasion to? Kindly test the waters and see if it was God. Anybody?
Samaritan's Purse, yeah, God's working there for sure. Experiencing God, I, I believe God, I believe it was God's will for us to go through this book, as many as can go through it. We made it available for anybody that wanted to go through the study. Don't give up. Just, I know this was kind of a difficult session as far as work goes, the length of it, but just keep plugging away, plugging away, because God led you to do it, and so... Uh, uh, it's helped us, it's helped me, and so, but the experience in God. I shared with you about going to visit Dwight Balls, Ginger Hill's dad, and also uh, Brianna, Lily, Brianna, and uh, Lily's granddad. And while I was there, I visited a guy that I'd met at uh, the Huddle House. And uh, one of the waitresses at the Huddle House uh, uh, when, we, when me and Brother Earl started to pray, she said, y'all, if you would pray for Ir, uh, Irvin. You remember Irvin? And I said, I'm not sure. So he's a server here. And I said, okay. So she said, uh, I saw some, I said, Is you ride a bicycle? She said, yeah. She said, I saw some commotion up in the parking lot yesterday, and this was last Sunday a week ago. And she said the fire department was there and the police was there. Ambulance was there. Found out it was Irvin. He's 52 years old. And said, she said he's homeless. And she said he's saving his money here to get him an apartment. And he doesn't get to work every day, but he was thought he was having a heart attack. So we prayed for Irvin. And then I went over to see Dwight. And Irvin's at the same hospital. So I went up to visit Irvin. I called him the night before and told him we'd prayed for him. Asked him if he'd remember me, and he did. And so I got, had an opportunity to go in and um, felt compelled after I visited Dwight to go in and visit with Irvin. And he was so happy that I came. Um, they thought they were going to do a heart cath, but they didn't. Found out that he had a problem with his pancreas. And so pray for me as I work with Irvin. I think that was a... I think that was the way God was speaking to me in regards to, to helping those that are going through a crisis, now the homeless, those who are hungry. And so pray as uh, God works with me that I can share with you a little later what we might can be doing as a church in that area. But pray for Irvin. Now, he has nobody. Uh, he's from up north. and, and uh, So he very appreciative. I had prayer with him, left him a track, he had a terrible migraine, so it wasn't a good time to, to uh, talk with him for a very long time. But anyway, I plan to follow up, so pray for Irvin. And I believe God was in all of that. Um, and the waitress felt comfortable enough to ask us to pray. And then God worked it out where I got to see Dwight, got to see Irvin too. I believe God's working in that. And I'll, I'll tell you what happens as time goes on with Irvin. And so just... Uh, just pray for him and pray for me as I work with him. Um, on, uh, look at number, let's see, on day two, um, look, if you will, at uh, number, I believe, number five. No, look at this church decision-making. Church decision-making. It's on 206 at the bottom of the page. Church decision-making. I'm going to have to hurry. Um, when God gave directions to our church in Saskatoon, this is Henry Blackaby speaking, he often provided them 
he, of, he often uh, provided them through members other than me who sensed the clear distinction of God and shared it with the body. He created opportunities for people to testify what they sensed God was leading us to be or to do. Our desire was not to find out who was for it, who was against it. Now, this is important. In our business meetings, we never took a vote asking, how many of you are for this? How many are you against this? That's the wrong question. Every time you ask that question, you've divided the church. You've acted as, uh, you've acted as if our own opinions are more important than God's. Sometimes the majority is wrong, but God's never wrong. So what's the right question? You don't, you don't ask who's for it, who's against it. So what's the right question? Look at the top of page 207. The right question is, after all the information you've heard, and after all you have, uh, after all you have prayed, how many of you sense God is clearly directing us to proceed in this direction as a body? Now, I don't know if you remembered or not, but that was how the motion was presented, perhaps word for word, when we voted to build the previous building, when we voted to use volunteer help, when we voted to accept the plans for this building. And that's the way it was worded. It was worded... Uh, Here's the question. Um, right question is, I'm trying to see my quotation marks. After all the information you've heard, and after all you've prayed. Now, you get the information, and then you do what you pray. Now, if you haven't prayed about it, really shouldn't vote. You shouldn't vote one way or the other. So after the information you've heard, based on your information, and you spent time in prayer, and I believe when the recommendation was going to be made, there's ample time given, a week, two weeks in prayer for people to pray, then come back and ever how you felt God was leading, within that was the direction you should take. <clears throat> God is clearly directing us to proceed in the direction uh, of, this, of a body. This is a different question. It does not ask members for their opinions. It asks them to vote based on what they sense God is saying to his church. On critical issues, we never voted at the time we discussed the issues, and that's good to do. After discussion, we would take time to pray and seek the mind of Christ. And so you're looking at major decisions, and so we need to pray about those decisions. Suppose 55% of the members voted saying, Yes, we sense God is clearly leading us to proceed in this direction. 45% voted saying, we do not sense God leading us in direction. What do we do? We never proceeded. That vote told me two things. Number one, God seemed to be leading us in that direction. Number two, however, the timing wasn't right because, uh, because the head had not yet brought the rest of the body to the same sense of leading. So we prayed, we worked, we watched, and we let the head bring the body in to understand what he wanted to do through us. And God was in charge and was present to help us to one mind, to be at one mind and one heart. And so you have to be careful. You have to think things through, not get in a hurry, include God, include prayer, and make sure God has brought everyone into as close as possible to agreement. 
People often ask, look at the third paragraph, did you always wait until you got a 100% vote? No, I knew one or more members could be out of fellowship with the Lord and couldn't hear his voice. Others might be purposely disobedient. However, we usually waited until those were overwhelmingly in favor. So there, there is a way to keep down a crisis. There's a way to keep down strife and conflict if we'll just take, if we'll just take time to do it. Look on page, if you will, uh, on day three. Day three, page 209. Romans 12. Uh, read the verse 1 and 2. And, and Paul, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he asks a question. Often you're, he says in verse 2, what two things did Paul recommend to members of the body? So the whole body would be able to discern God's will. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Be willing to sacrifice yourself. Give yourself totally over to what the Lord would want. Do not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Uh, verse 3, 10, and 16. What are some specific things you can do to prevent problems caused by pride? I listed three. Don't think yourself as better than anyone else in the church. Speaking of the church now. Be kind to one another and don't be condescending to someone else. And so that, that helps us. On page 210, I won't take time to read it, but the left column, Romans 12, 9 through 21, those are the things we need to be interested in while we deal with uh, things in, in the church. Number one, love others without hypocrisy. Don't pretend to love them. Actually love them. Bless those who persecute you. So those things uh, we need to take into consideration. Look on page 211. Right in the middle of the page, uh, second paragraph. Here's the pattern we see in the Old Testament. God gave assignments to his people. God gave the Holy Spirit to the people to equip them to accomplish the task. And the proof of the Spirit's present, uh, presence was that the person was able to complete the assignment effectively through his supernatural enabling. And so these, this, this is how God worked in the Old Testament. He gave illustrations there. And how he works, how he worked in the New Testament. Um, let's see. I want to skip over. Uh, look on page, uh, well, on page 211. Just let me, um, 211, the summary statements. I'm sorry, that was on page 212. Need to go over those summary statements. The Holy Spirit's the gift. Spiritual gift is manifestation of the Holy Spirit at work and through the person's life for the coming good of the body. Just go over those as you review. And you need to review each week, really. Um, let me see. Uh, look over to page two, 214. And day, um, on page 214, day four, those statements. This is kind of interesting. Real interesting. Here's a statement. I think we should clean up our church rows and get rid of the names of people who don't attend anymore. Do we have a motion to do that? Is there a second? 
Well, they ain't been here in five or ten years. We need to just go ahead. Now, this is common. This is common for churches to cleanse, quote, that's the word they use, to cleanse their robe. And then you have, yes, Brother Philip. right and that's our contact you lose your contact list you you lose your in reach now the only time that a person should be removed from a row in my opinion and others number one they move their membership they join another church um, they die you know go ahead they die then take them off but other than that, we need to give an all-out effort. Well, they ain't been here in so long. Well, why haven't they? And I can think of a situation years and years ago when I first came here. A couple had not been. They got their feelings hurt and had been out of church for two or three years. And um, uh, I and the chairman of the deacons went with me, and we went to visit them. And I went on behalf of the church. He went on behalf of the deacons. Uh, I didn't know the situation, didn't want to know the situation. I just said, on behalf of the church, I'm coming to express, uh, uh, make a request that you please forgive us for whatever we did or whatever we said. We'd like to have you back in church. And he was coming on behalf of the deacons making that same request. And you know what happened? They came back to church. And um, uh, came and, and they came to church as long as their health permitted them to come. But uh, the church role is full of, uh, we call them inactive members. Inactive members. Brother Philip? Yeah, well, just a little bump, a reminder there. On page 215 at the top of that page, statement A, this is what he says. I think we should clean up our church rows and get rid of the names of people who don't attend anymore, end of quote. The first question this church needs to ask is, are these people members of the body of Christ? Are they Christians? If God added them to your body because that's where he wanted them to be, do you have the right to delete them? A church needs all the members God's given the body. The church should pray and ask God to show them how to reclaim these wayward members into active fellowship. And so that's what we need to do. And so just a few years ago, a couple years ago, I taught a study on reclaiming, reclaiming church members. And so we kind of need to keep that in mind. It's frustrating, uh, but a church... On the right column, a church needs all members God's given that body. 
And so uh, my, our situation at times is people unite with the church, and it's not a Baptist church, and they don't contact us to let us know they joined that church. And so we have two churches carrying people as members. And so it's um, kindly frustrating at times. Uh, and so only thing is just what I do if we get, um, if we receive someone outside of the Baptist uh, denomination, I, I write the church a letter and I'll say, so-and-so is united with our church. Please adjust your records accordingly. And so they can leave them on there. They can take them off. We add them on ours. And so that's how, that's how we, we do it. But primarily just out of courtesy to let the other church know people's a member. But I'm sure we have people that are members of other churches that we're not aware of, that they've joined that church. On day five, um, he gives a testimony of, um, of a young girl that came to the altar and prayed, and she led her friend to the Lord, and, and uh, the church then voted to accept her uh, into fellowship. Now, years and years and years and years ago, probably 35 years ago, our church, our church changed our policy in regards to voting someone into the church. So what we do is in a vote, we rejoice. We, uh, this is that person's decision. Uh, say a person is saved. Some of you, well, probably know what I'm talking about. A person is saved, they come forward, and then years and years ago, when I was a child, a person would come into the church, they'd be saved, they'd transfer their membership. And, and the preacher would say, do we have a motion that we accept them into our fellowship? You ever heard that? You ever, ever heard that? And it'd be quiet, be just like it is here. Be quiet. And you're thinking, come on, guys, help me out here. And somebody said, I'll make a motion. Somebody else, he'd get quiet again. And here's a person standing there thinking, will they not want me? You know, have I done the wrong thing? And then finally somebody will come to and they'll say, yeah, I'll second that. And if you're in favor, let be known by the uplifted hand. Hey, you're welcome. You're members of our church. But instead of voting, we started rejoicing with people. Makes all the difference in the world. And a person comes, and, and this is their decision. And if you rejoice in their decision, let it be known by a hearty amen and a round of applause. And we rejoice in that decision. And so you have to be careful. Uh, my dad always said this. He said, uh, uh, there's some things that Baptists don't have to vote on. And um, over the years, I've noticed, I've noticed that to be true. Um, let's talk just a minute. Well, let me go to one other area. I'm going to let the last be first and the first be last here. Covenant relationship. I'm going to talk about church covenants just a minute. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, 8, 7 and verse 18. Page 219 down at the bottom of the page. Tells us God's as member to the body as it pleases him for the common good of the whole body. When God added a member to our body, we rejoiced and immediately began talking about what being the, the body of Christ meant. As a pastor, I led the congregation to establish covenant relationships with the person. A covenant is a sacred pledge or agreement. That's what a covenant is. A sacred pledge or agreement. 
Do you remember years and years and years and years ago? I know 45 years ago, almost. When I came into Mountain View Baptist Church over on the see, right side of the wall, they had, they had a frame. They had a frame. And it was, about, it was about three foot by four foot. What was in that frame? The church covenant was in that frame. Man, or y'all have that? Man, or y'all have that in church? Had the church, I think you and I talked about it. Had the church covenant up there. And uh, when the church was organized, they adopted that covenant. Now, I, I dare say 99.5% of the people here remember that covenant being in our church. But that covenant was never done away with. Uh, it was moved when we remodeled the building. And it was, in, it was always in uh, glass. But it wasn't non-glare glass. You couldn't read the covenant. You look up there at it and you see a row of fluorescent lights behind it. and You'd see all these pianos over here on this side. You're looking at that glass. You couldn't read the covenant. You had to get right up. And I went to an association meeting this, this past year. And um, I might talk to you about it, Terry, but uh, it was at um, uh, Hodges, Hodges Convention Center. Had that. I made a picture of it, got it on my phone, came back, made a copy of it. So I'm going to give you the church covenant tonight. Canaan, would you help me here, buddy? Jimmy, could you help? Just give her, let me get the highlighted. Just give everybody on this side one, and I'll get, I'm going to give you a copy. This side over here, son. Get that side, and I'll let Jim get this side. Let's look at this just a minute, because, uh, and, and I'm on, it's, it's self-explanatory. But I want to share with you our church covenant. Now, I've, I've witnessed to people, and, and they say something like this. They'll say, especially another denomination in particular, and they'll say, well, we go by the Bible, we don't go by a covenant. And, um, and so what, we, what we've done, or what they did, and there's a number of covenants, uh, but this is the one that our church was organized under. But uh, there are different historical covenants of Baptists in the past. But this, is, this was what hung in our building uh, for years. We got plenty for everybody. You need to tuck that away. And at one time, we ordered these, and uh, they were built. They, uh, they, we put them in the back of our hymn books. Y'all remember that? We had the church covenant, Barbara. We had them in the back of our hymn book where people are in the front, where people could be reminded, but... It's years gone by. Let's look at this together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. Made a picture of that. Yeah, that's where the picture came from. Miss, Miss Doney had that covenant in her Bible. Now, I'm going to explain something in just a moment. Maybe you've questioned about why we do some things. Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God in these assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. So what's a covenant? What did he say a covenant was? A covenant is a sacred pledge or agreement. Now, see if you find anything 
That's not scriptural in here. Okay? Number one, we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. You got anything? You got a gripe with that? To strive for the advancement of the church in knowledge, holiness, comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. Now listen to this. To contribute cheerfully and regularly to support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. So how do we support the church? Through our free will offerings, our tithes and our free will offerings. Don't say anything about car washes, yard sales, general public helping. Don't say that. If it's worth God's people doing, it's worth God's people paying for it. Let me tell you a little story about Mountain View Baptist Church. I'm going to have to come down. You can still, still recording it, Kyle. Years ago, years and years ago, Brenda might remember this. In the, in the previous building, after it was bricked and everything, they had, uh, uh, they had ceiling fans, but they needed air conditioning. And so I was, I was out visiting in the community, and I went to a man, and he was lost. And I said, man, I'd like to have you be at church. And he said, I don't, Brother Samuel, I don't have nothing against that church. He said, I come singings up there all the time. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I don't have nothing against that church. I loaned them the money to pay for those air conditions. A lost man. Loaning money to the church to pay for air conditioners. See anything wrong with that? I said, you're kidding. He said, no, they paid me back. <laughs> Thinking, Thank you, Lord. They paid me back. And then I remembered the church covenant. What does it say? It says to contribute cheerfully and regularly to support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel through all nations. That's what we're to do. It's, it's not to invite Joe Blow that's lost and don't know Christ to, to give and stop at a roadblock and hand out a bucket and say, could you help our youth go to summer camp? And then after a while, you'll go in the house to visit, and you know what you're going to hear? Well, won't you come to church? Well, all they want down there is my money. I've heard it. I've heard it. So here's a lost man. By the way, long story short, had an opportunity to share the gospel with him later, and he was saved. Uh, he was uh, baptized in, in Union Hill and uh, attended faithfully over there, and I kept this and held his funeral. And... Um, but he loaned us church. And we had, we had people in the church that had money to do that. But they went to a lost man. Let's look on. That, but that's why somebody, and I, I've shared, you know, Hunt came to me. I said, we can't, we can't have a, a raffle. Uh, we can't have a, uh, uh, a, uh, a yard sale. We, we don't want the general public to support the Lord's work. That's what we're to do. 
And so, and, and Joy, I shared with Joy, she understood. Maybe we've got to have a yard sale in order to get. Now, we've had, we ha, we've had the auction, and who was here? Our family, our church family. We've had spaghetti suppers. Who was here? Our church family, our youth provided uh, the meal, served the tables, and our people gave them tips, and we raised the money for their youth trip. But as far as going out here and asking the lost world to support our work, God forbid that we'd ever do that. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions to religiously educate our children to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances to walk circumspectly in the world to be just, just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling and backbiting, excessive anger to abstain from the cell and use of alcohol, intoxicating drinks as a beverage, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom for the Savior or of the Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and Christian courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We, moreover, engage that when we remove from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principle of God's word. And that's the covenant this church was organized under in, in a sacred agreement with each other. This is what we're going to do. And they, they put it on the wall where everybody could see it. And so took this away somewhere. And uh, see, this is, this is what we've agreed to do. And, uh, and, and if you see anything that's not biblical, let me know. Because, uh, and, and I've talked to people, and they'll say, well, Brother Sam, it's, uh, uh, they'll say, we use the Bible. We don't use the covenant. But we, we covenant. Brother Michael? Well, yeah, it, primarily this is go into your closet and pray to have your quiet time. Spend time alone. Yeah, spend time alone. Get, get in your closet and pray. If you would, look, look at this uh, video for just, what's well, more than a minute, for just about 10 minutes, maybe. We'll close for this. And I had one other thing, but we'll wait. standing here on a beautiful dock with nice calm water behind me. It reminds me of a story of when I lived in Georgia and the summers in Georgia are extremely hot. And I remember one day it was so hot, 
all day long. And uh, to, to make it worse, there was a fly that kept buzzing around my head, flying around our home. So I remember uh, desperately trying to catch this fly. And then uh, as it would happen, the fly landed on the edge of an open water bottle. And I somehow was able to whack the fly into the water bottle and screw the lid on. <laughs> he caught the fly and I was gonna keep him there in his little fly prison for a while. Uh, well, forgot about him, went to bed. In the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm so thirsty. And so I stumble downstairs. It's the middle of the night. I'm not super coherent. And, uh, and there's a water bottle right on the table. It's like it was meant to be. And I go and I unscrew the lid and I'm just about to drink that water when this fly uh, makes himself known again and buzzes out right into my face. And I throw the water bottle and uh, disgusting. I don't want anything to do. Who knows what that fly did in that water? I don't want anything to do with it. You know, uh, Jesus called himself the living water. Uh, our souls long for him to be nourished. But sometimes uh, there's a fly in the water that is keeping people from coming to, to experience those living waters. You know what that fly is? Uh, it's us, the church. Oftentimes people will say, I, I would come to Jesus, I would, I would even consider Christianity, but for the church. I've experienced hurt, I've experienced hypocrisy, and I'm so disgusted by the misdeeds of the church that I'm not even willing to give Christianity a chance. And so they never come to experience those living waters. Well, this is tragic to me because in scripture, the church is, is God's design, God's plan. Uh, and it is a beautiful thing when functioning as God has designed it to function. When we are born again, we are born into the family of God. We become part of the body of Christ. That's what Paul calls it in the Bible. He calls it the body of Christ with Christ as the head. And then each of us, members of this body, all coming together to do the will of the head. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he even says that God puts the body together and gifts each member a gift of the Holy Spirit for the common good. This means that the more individualistic we become as Christians, the less we understand God's vision for the church. Because we are not independent, we're interdependent. Each of us coming together to form a unified body that follows the lead of the head, which is Christ. Paul says, we are the body of Christ. The question is, are we an active member of the body of Christ? Mm. And what happens if we choose not to be? I remember one Thanksgiving, I was sitting downstairs, I was watching a hockey game, and I was sitting on my leg. When somebody called from upstairs, you know, it's dinner time, it's Thanksgiving meal. And uh, I, I got up, excited to go to Thanksgiving dinner, took one big step in front of me, but my whole leg was asleep. And I just fell flat on my face. And thankfully, there was nobody there to see it. Uh, but if, if one member of your body decides to stop working, it affects everybody else because we're connected together. And so the more individualistic, the more we think about just ourselves, what we're not realizing is that those choices are affecting other people in the body of Christ. The church is also a place where we can tangibly experience the love of God. And I remember when I was a young adult pastor, I met a young couple and uh, they were living together and, and I was, praying about an opportunity to talk with them about their relationship, uh, about 
coming together and, and being married and honoring God with their relationship. And uh, it's sort of an awkward conversation. So I prayed and, and said, God, would you give me an opportunity, if, if you want me to do this, to talk with them? Well, that night at about midnight, I get a call from them and their car has broken down about an hour outside of town and they're needing a ride. So I go all the way out there, I get them, uh, I get them in the back of my car and I've got a whole hour to chat with them in the middle of the night as we drive back. And I ask them, uh, have you guys uh, considered getting married? Uh, do, what do you think God wants you to do to honor him with your relationship? And they said, you know, we, we really do think that God wants us to get married. Uh, we just haven't been able to, to put the finances together to, to make it happen. We so badly want to have some sort of uh, wedding ceremony and, uh, and we've just been waiting for, for that opportunity. Uh, can, could you marry us? <laughs> I, thought, I had never done a wedding before at that point as a pastor and thought, well, uh, yeah, I think I can, let, let me check. And so uh, check my credentials. Yes, I can, uh, I can marry you guys. And uh, then I, I saw the most amazing thing as the church went into action to help these guys follow God with their relationship. And I was doing a young adult ministry uh, at a cafe on Thursday nights. And I decided, you know, what if one of these Thursdays coming up, we just did a wedding instead of our regular young adult service. And so uh, people sprung into action. Somebody provided a beautiful wedding cake. Somebody brought a chocolate fountain. Somebody who, who was a photographer did a photo shoot for them. Uh, somebody uh, made you know, the flowers and all the different things that go into a wedding and the decorations. And somebody even flew the groom's mother from Portland, uh, Oregon to Georgia in order to be there for the wedding. And I remember on Thursday night, people are showing up thinking it's gonna be another young adult service and it's all set up for a wedding. We had visitors there for the first time. thinking, what, what did I just walk into? We said, you guys, we even provided uh, the audience. <laughs> you guys come on in and what a beautiful picture of this couple coming together, uh, bringing their lives together, seeking to honor God with their relationship and the, the body of Christ surrounding them saying, hey, when we follow God, we do it together. And there's things that maybe you can't do that the rest of the body of Christ can come together and, and do what you otherwise would not be able to. You know, the world doesn't need to just see Christians trying to be good for their God. They need to see something in us that only God can do. I remember shortly after uh, my own wedding, where my wife and I came home uh, to find that our doors had been kicked in and somebody had gone through our entire house and, and robbed us of, of just about everything valuable that we had. And as we were sitting there uh, distraught over this experience, the first two guys to show up were two young men that I had baptized in my young adult ministry. And, and they were there for us. They were ready to go out looking for whoever had done it. These guys had come out of some rough backgrounds and they're like, we'll go find whoever did this. And I remember as I'm sitting there, starting to feel sorry for myself and my situation, God just so clearly lifted my eyes off of myself across the table to these two guys and said, those two young men are worth far more than anything that you lost tonight because they're part of the body of Christ with you. They're your spiritual brothers in the faith. And when you are in heaven one day, worshiping with all the other saints, you're not gonna be thinking about the TVs and computers that you lost. You're gonna be worshiping uh, with the rest of the body of Christ. Those two men are worth far more 
you know, it was a picture of unified diversity. Between me and those two guys, we represented three different ethnicities, three different backgrounds, three different stories, brought together in unity because of the one thing we had in common, and that was Jesus saved each of us. You know, in a divided world, one of the biggest testimonies that we can have as Christians is that sense of unified diversity, the picture of church, the body of Christ, displaying to the world who Jesus is. And so let's not be a fly in the water, preventing people from coming to know the living waters of Jesus. Let us represent Jesus well as the body of Christ. So there's a temptation to think that I don't need the church. I, I can do this solo, like it's just Jesus and me. Uh, but when you see how scripture describes the church as the body of Christ, uh, you can start to see how, how self-centered that becomes of saying, well, you're just a part of the body uh, and uh, don't confuse yourself with being the whole body. Uh, yeah. it, it's ridiculous to think that an eye all by itself could say, I don't, I don't need the body or I can't benefit from the body. Uh, it, it exists as part of the body. And so uh, what would you say to, uh, to maybe that temptation that sometimes we feel of, of wanting to do the Christian life uh, by ourselves, but, but not part of the greater body? I would say God designed us to be a part of a body. And so there are things that we'll never receive unless we're a part of it. And there's some things others won't receive unless we're also a part of the body. I remember even when I was in college, I was a young, um, you, you, won't, you won't be able to imagine this, but I was a young man at you one point. You were young at once. <laughs> and I remember going to church one day, going in and sitting down, I was all in, ready for worship. And I look across the room and I see a, an elderly widow, Mrs. Clark, sitting by herself. Now I'm, I'm a young college student. I'm looking around for all my friends. And if I'm gonna look at women in the church, it's gonna be someone a little bit younger. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, but the Lord just, I, I, I'll never forget just being drawn to go and say something to this widow. I didn't hang out with her, didn't know her that well, but I got up, walked over to her. The service hasn't started yet. And I just sat down and said, Mrs. Clark, I just, you know, how are you doing? And she had just recently been widowed. Her husband had died the fall before. Now this is the spring. And I said, it just strikes me. I'm wondering, how are you going to take care of your yard? You're going to mow your grass and everything? And I'll never forget the look on her face. I had no idea. This widow was a very uh, uh, independent kind of person, and she dreaded becoming a burden to her church. And so she's looking at her grass growing up and the tree limbs and leaves that have fallen during the winter. Just, she doesn't even know where a lawnmower is. And she's just, just so fearful. And so she's just praying and praying for hours every day. God, would you help me? I don't know what to do. I don't want to be a burden without my husband. And all of a sudden, here's this young college student saying, what are you going to do about your yard work? And as soon as she began to she sort of stumbles. She doesn't want to make it sound like she's asking for anything. I finally just said, listen, I'll be at your house on Saturday. And, and so I showed up. The, the yard's a disaster. I, I mowed. I got the lawnmower out. I hauled debris into the garbage pile and so on. And I remember at the very end, I'm just wrapping it up. And she comes out with a wad of cash. I mean, I think she kept it all under her mattress. Like she didn't have a lot of money. And I said, Mr. Clark, I cannot take any money. I know God wanted me to do this. I, it would be wrong for you to pay me. I'm doing this for God. I'm glad to bless you. 
But I said, I'm not a complete saint. I said, I do know that you know how to bake amazing things. And Some I things said, are better than others. That's right. And I, I said, I've got three roommates. We, we're all lousy cooks. I said, anytime you just want to bake something, I'll consider that I got the better end of the deal. Th that was a Saturday. The very next day on Sunday, I walk into church. The place is just like, just filled with the aroma of cinnamon and baking and bread. And, and uh, everyone is like thinking maybe there was a surprise potluck no one knew about. And uh, she comes over and says, Richard, all of this is for you. And my roommates all voted me roommate of the century in that very moment. But, but you know, we developed this beautiful relationship. She started praying for me every time she knew I had a midterm exam or anything going on in school. And I would go over there and bless her. And I realized, here's this elderly widow. Here's a young college student. And God put them together in the body. And I'm meeting a need she had. She's meeting needs I have. And I realized we both would have been so sorely missing out had we not been a part of the same body. So I, anyone who says, I don't need a body, number one, you're, it's a prideful statement. It says you don't, you're, you're so good, you don't need any help or any aid from anyone else. It also is a lack of caring and concern to say, I don't care who might be in the body that would need God to use me to be a blessing to them. Yeah, and I like to say too that uh, the body of Christ, it, it fills in the gaps of your family tree. And so yeah. you have different generations coming together. And so you might have people who, who don't have their father or never, never knew their father or who, whose grandparents have maybe passed away and don't have their grandparents. And all of a sudden you've got these different generations in the church that are being able to bless each other yeah. uh, in, in, this, uh, in this family way. Well, another, um, another issue sometimes that, that comes up is uh, people would say, well, I, I'm happy to be a part of a church, but, but this particular church that I'm a part of is, is not really what I'm looking for. It's not really perfect. It's not ideal. Uh, like uh, I'm going to go look for something else. And, and sometimes you can get into a habit of, of never really finding the, the perfect church and just jumping around to different places, trying to find one that perfectly fits you. Uh, what would you say to that? Well, you know, that's a common one. And I, I've had many times people will come and I mean, they may have been in their same church for 15 years, but they'll say things like, but I, I really believe in prayer and our church just is not praying. And I, you know, I love my church, but they don't pray. I feel like I should be a part of a praying church. Usually when someone tells me that, I'll say, well, if you have a burden for prayer and you're in a church, why do you think God would place you in a church that doesn't pray? Uh, that would be perfect. It's like a, a church that can't see. And so God starts adding eyes. Uh, well, the eyes shouldn't complain that, you know, the church never looks. I mean, that's because we added you. So I would say, if God's put a burden in your heart for what the church could be, uh, that, that's where you're gifted, that's where you're passionate about. Don't leave and go find a church filled with people just like you. Assume God added you to the body because he wanted to work through you to equip your church. And I remember one time a man came to my father and said he had a burden for men's ministry and he wanted to be in a church that ministered to men, but his had no ministry whatsoever to men. And so he asked my, my father, should I leave this church and go find a church that cares about men? And his wife was not interested in leaving that church. And so there was a lot of dynamics there. But my dad responded to him and said, God's made you a leader. God has given you a problem solving ability. You use it at work all the time. Why don't you use it in your own church? So he goes to his pastor and says, listen, I'd be willing to organize maybe a, a banquet one night, a, a dinner for men and maybe I could bring in a speaker, what would you think? The pastor said, hey, if you wanna do it, great, you know, we'll support it. So he does, it's a raging success. 
everybody's talking to him about what are you going to do next? What are you going to, what's, what's on the next you know, month's schedule? He starts doing that in his church. Well, then word gets out to his, the, the other churches in his denomination throughout the city. And they say, well, can we join in? Maybe we could do a citywide thing. And the next thing you know, this guy is blessing churches all over the city, all over the region. Instead of leaving and just trying to find a place that had it all together, God wanted to use him to bless and equip his church to minister in a way that it hadn't been doing so before. Yeah, and so I think what we see with all of this in the end is that if you want to fully experience God, that will only happen in the context of the body of Christ. Okay, that's pretty good. Look at your uh, look at the graph diagram on the board and those seven realities. Remember those, put them to put them to memory. God's at work. Number two, building a relationship uh, with us. Uh, the invitation, He invites us to join Him. God speaks to us through those four ways. And then we have that crisis of belief. We make those adjustments. Step out by faith and obey, and then we experience God. So those are seven realities of experiencing God, knowing God's will. And so if you would kindly put those to, uh, to heart. I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on this and make my comments on this conflict management or conflict ministry in the church. Share some thoughts with you when we come back. We're going to close with a song. And so after this song, we'll have our closing prayer. Use this time just to pray, meditate, think, think, Lord, I'm in this body here, I'm in this congregation, and I want to do your will, and, and whatever you want to use me, I surrender myself to you to do whatever you want me to do here. And so just be available, and God will uh, he'll provide what you need to carry out what he wants you to do. He always does that. Okay. slips in trying to fade into the faces the girls teasing laughter is carrying farther than they know farther than they know but if we are the body why aren't his arms reaching why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing? Then there is a way. Cause there is a way. There is his coat and quietly sinks into the back row 
judgmental glances tells him that his chances are better out on the road but if we are the body why aren't his arms reaching why aren't his hands healing why aren't he the words teaching and if we are the body to pick and choose who should come we are the body of Christ if we are the body why aren't his arms reaching why aren't his hands healing why aren't his words teaching and if we are the body why aren't his feet going I don't want to be the fly in the water. I want people to feel comfortable to come here and be around me. And when I see them on, on the street or wherever, I want them to be able to feel comfortable when they come here to worship. I want our people, you, and you've always done a great job reaching out, speaking to people. We need to continue to do that because you don't know how people may feel that walk through these doors.